So when Pastor Zach called me last week, uh, almost immediately, probably within that first 24 hours, the Lord kind of began to give me some direction. I felt like for you this morning. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 25. If you've been around church for very long, you've read this, you know this. I won't want to preach the whole chapter to you, but I want to focus in on a few verses of Scripture, one particular parable. Let's just read the text this morning, and then we'll just see what the Holy Spirit has to say, all right? Matthew chapter 25, we're going to begin at verse 14. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man to a... uh, Let me start again. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling... To a far country, who called his own servant and delivered his goods to them. And to the one he gave five talents, to another he gave two, and to another one, one. To each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went out and traded with them, made another five talents. And likewise... He who has received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents. Beside them, his Lord said to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter, in, enter into your joy, into the joy of your Lord. He said, who had, uh, he, said all, he also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents. Well done, Uh, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at the coming, at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he, who, and he will have abundance. But from those who do not have, even what he has will be taken away, and cast, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want you, if you would, just real quickly look back at verse... Uh, let's look at verse 20... Actually, look at verse 24 again. He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew 
you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, you have what is yours. But his Lord... But his Lord answered and said, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you because it is good. It is always good. It is food for us. It is our strength. All things are established by your word. And I thank you this morning for the anointing and your presence that rests in this room. And I just thank you, Father. And we submit ourselves to you. May our hearts be open to receive exactly what you're saying to us. May it be your words today and not mine. May you be glorified. And everybody said, Amen. Now, you've probably heard this parable before, and I'm going to get into it in just a second, but let me give you just a little overview so you understand. One thing I like to do is understand context of Scripture. It's very easy to pull Scriptures out, make them fit particular moments in our lives and things we like. It's very easy to preach a verse of Scripture, but it's very important that we understand the Word of God, especially as believers. We need to understand the Word of God in context, and we have far more greater understanding of what God is saying to us. So let me first understand. Let you understand that in chapter 25, this is Jesus speaking, all right? The chapter 25, Jesus is talking about a period of time that's about to take place. He is going to be talking about this period of time from him leaving earth after the cross in the ascension, which he's been trying to prepare his followers for, that he's not going to be here. He's going to be going away. He's been preparing them for this. And then he's also telling them that he is going to be coming again. So there's this space from where Jesus leaves leaves the earth after accomplishing his work in the earth and the space where he is going to return again. Now, not in my message today, but something very important because I can't get away with it because we're going to talk about that space in between here in just a moment. But make no mistake, Jesus came to earth, the Son of God, died on a cross, rose again, ascended into the heavens, and make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen. You ought to amen that more than you amen anything else I say today because it's the best news you and I have. Now there is a space in between something for us to do. We'll talk about that in a minute. But don't you ever lose sight of the promise and the hope and the expectancy that Jesus Christ is going to return again. Just like he said he would do. In fact, Paul said, you are to encourage one another with these words. Jesus Christ is coming again just like he said he would. Those disciples stood on that mountain after seeing Jesus and watched Jesus ascend into the heaven. And the scripture says as they stared, I believe it's Acts chapter 1, as they stared looking into the sky, two men in white apparel appeared and said, Why stand ye gazing into the heavens? This same Jesus that you saw go away will come again in like manner. I got good news. No matter what you're facing, no matter what's going on in the world, Jesus Christ. Is coming again. Don't forget that, okay? I, I, I'm passionate about that because I'm going to tell you, I grew up hearing that, and it's very easy to get complacent and think we've been hearing that all our lives. 
My, grandma, my grandpa said it. My grand, great-grandma preached it and believed it. In fact, my parents believed it so much, they never believed we would ever see the year 2000. In fact, if my mama was here today, she certainly wouldn't believe that we were still here. But I'm going to tell you, and what I, what I worry is that a generation... A generation, we've almost quit telling them that Jesus is coming till we have no expectation of a better day and a brighter day where sin will be dealt with once and for all. No more pain, no more sorrow. Jesus is coming. Again, that's our hope. I mean, I know, don't misunderstand me. The presence of the Lord is here. His kingdom is here. He lives in us. There are great things happening. Revival is happening. Moves of God are happening. God is invading the earth. I get it. But make no mistake, there is a brighter day yet to come. And it's going to be good. So you need to tell your young people, you need to let our, in fact, you know, I think this is what I preached last time I was here a little over a year ago. We preached about the fact that Jesus could come at any moment. Jesus could come at absolutely any moment. Because that's what we know is true. That's what he said. He said, no man knows the time nor the hour that the Lord thy God shall come. But he is coming again. So back to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is preparing his followers for this space in between. I'm leaving, which they didn't completely understand, but he's also telling him that he's going to come again. Now Jesus is going to tell in Matthew chapter 25 two parables. We're obviously going to deal with the second one, but let me tell you about these parables. These parables... Just for your understanding, you probably know this. These are not actual stories or or like real things that happen, but they're stories that illustrate a purpose that Jesus is, that the author of of the speaker, Jesus is trying to convey. He's telling one big message. He's coming again and there's a space in between preparing them because, listen, you've been with me for a long time and and you know I'm the Messiah and he knows they're expecting him to overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom and and do all those things. And Jesus is saying, no, I've got to leave. I'm going away. I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper. But there's going to be this space. So then he tells two parables to start this chapter. The first parable, you should go back and read it today or tomorrow, sometime this week. The first parable is a parable we know as the ten virgins. And it tells the story about these virgin, or these, these brides, if you will, the Bible calls them virgins, waiting in expectation for the groom to come up, to, to show up. The story, it's a beautiful story, it's a great parable. What the parable is really about in context of the chapter is about making sure you personally know Jesus. That's what it's about, to make sure you're ready. Because before we can get to the next parable, you got to have your own life right. you got to make sure you know Jesus. It's personal responsibility. Go read the parable, and it's going to talk about these virgins who were not ready, these brides who were not ready, and the master showed up, and they tried everything to get ready at the last minute, but the door was closed, and they weren't ready. It's what I preach to you. It's, it's one of the greatest messages we ought to preach every day if we really are concerned about the trouble facing our world. If we're really concerned about the sin and the brokenness, we ought to tell people that Jesus is coming. You need to get ready. That's what the story is about. That's what the parable is about. It's about personal, individual readiness in your own soul. The virgins are going to go try to ask somebody else for help. I can't help you. 
I can't help you now. Now was not the time. You should have been ready. Before I go any further, just as we go on today, I'm going to tell you today, if you are in this room, I don't know everybody here, if you are in this room and you do not know Jesus, you have not given your life to Jesus, you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you cannot answer the question, I am ready to stand face to face with Jesus, today is the day you need to get ready. You need to get your life right with God. If you're flirting around, let me say it that way. Maybe you've known Jesus and you're flirting around on the outside, doing all kinds of other things in the world, working on all kinds of other things, flirting with the world, playing with the world, one foot half in the kingdom, one foot out. If you're doing that, you need to get ready. Get your life right with God. That's the first parable. It's about personal preparedness. It's about personally knowing that you know Jesus and that you're ready to see him. But then we get to this parable that I just read to you of the ten talents. Once you've got your life right, once you know you're ready, then Jesus is going to explain that we actually have some responsibility and activity. It's about what we do, what we keep doing, what our our life is to look like, the activity of our life, if you will, once we know we're right with God. Because how many knows, I just quoted that, it wasn't part of this, but I just showed you in Acts chapter 1, remember the followers of Jesus stood and watched him leave. And I always liked this story, I always liked that verse, that, that little passage, because I would have probably been just like them, in an amazement and an awe as you stand and look. But the angels, or those, those men in white apparel, had to actually say, why are you standing here? Why are you standing here? Why are you just looking here? He's coming back, like he said, but why are you just standing here? And Jesus is going to tell this parable. There's probably a lot of things we can glean from this story. There's lots of things we can learn in particular. There's probably lots of things that would speak into our life. But in context of the chapter and what Jesus is trying to say, he is telling us that there is something for us to do in this space. Just so you know, we are all still in that space. we got to make sure we're right with him. And there's something for us to do. Now... I don't want you to, let's do this. Let's look back at verses. I know I've read them twice already, but I want to focus in on this third servant. First off, understand, let's be real clear. This story, he talks about a master and a servant. This is Jesus and us. You understand that? It's not really vague. This is the story. It's Jesus telling us the master that leaves We're the servants that are left, that are deposited, gives us his possessions. So Jesus, the master, leaves, and he leaves each to his own ability, his possessions and his talents. We get to the third, the master comes back, and he returns to settle the accounts of these servants. We get back to 24, verse 24, and he says, He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, there you have. I almost hear pride in this guy. You know what? Look what I did for you, Jesus. I got here. He is right back. Let me see if I can reinterpret this just a little bit, not to take scripture out of context, but make it a little more relevant for us today. I, I think he was probably saying something like this. 
Master, I knew you were really serious about your things that you gave me. I knew your message was really a serious thing. I knew that, that you use, I knew you work through men, great men, great voices to do great things. You use great musicians, you great speakers, great talented people. I knew that you pull, use, you reap where you, through the hands and the feet of very talented people. And, and I was kind of afraid because I'm not really good at anything. So I just took it and held on to it for myself and I just kind of kept it away to make sure I didn't lose what you gave me I didn't do anything with it whatsoever because how often I've not one thing I want you to understand this morning is every this is not a scripture to leaders you understand that this isn't a text that's speaking to preachers and pastors and worship leaders executives Sunday school teachers Y'all don't have Sunday school. Y'all, oh, you, some of y'all don't even know what that is. Uh, Sunday school teachers and, and all those. So this is not a, a text that's just for talented people. This is really meant to be all of those who know Jesus. So guess what? You have been deposited something. And he's asking. He shows up. And very often, I'm afraid, much of us in the body of Christ will find ourselves in that day standing before the Lord saying, you know what? I wasn't a very good speaker. And I know this was really serious. And I know it was really important. And I know people's, I, I know you reap, uh, I, I know you reap where you don't sow. I know you use people that uh, you choose to use people very talented, very gifted. And we'll find ourselves standing back going, we couldn't do it. We want almost like Moses. God, I can't speak. You can't use me. Sure, surely you'll send somebody else and and, and we become this people that make all kinds of excuses not to do something with this great gift and talent that God has given us. And just maybe I ought to say this. I'll get back to that. No, let me, I'm going to get ahead of myself. And so if we're not careful, we become this servant. The interesting thing about it is that, that the servant, when the master comes back, when the master actually gives the talent, he puts no requirement to anybody. He doesn't say you have to. He never tells anybody you got to double anything. Now, that's what the story reads, that the one with five talents brought five more and the one with two brought two more. But you need to notice that the master makes no issue of the quantity. He just says, well done, good and faithful servant. You need to understand that's what we are. We're servants. We're faithful servants. That's the answer that we're looking for. That's, that's what we're looking for when we stand face to face with the master. Will he be able to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. He just says, the story tells us that the master leaves on a long journey and he, he deposits his goods, his possessions with his servants. And so the two come back and they present themselves. Look here, here it is. You gave me this, it is reproduced. Here you gave me this, it is reproduced. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one seems to want to make excuses. Man, he says, Lord, I knew this was serious business. And I, man, you know how I struggle with my self-esteem. You know how I struggle with what I do, you, you, you know how I struggle. And I know this is just too serious, so there's nothing real. I didn't want to lose what you got. I, I didn't want to mess it up. 
Can I tell you, people ask me all the time. I've pastored now for four and a half years, and they ask me, oh, how's the church doing? And I tell you, man, I probably feel like I'm messing up more than I'm helping. And if you think standing in this pulpit, you ever, I, I was a myth. I learned a long time ago, and more so in the last year. If you think standing in this pulpit makes you somehow feel able to do this, because I stand here today and still don't feel capable of doing what I'm doing. You'll never get to a point where you feel like, in fact, if you start to, there's probably some pride building up in you. This is serious business. It's God's work, but it is only Him that does it. If I wait until I feel like I can do something with it, we'll never do anything with anything God gives us. So they begin to make the excuse. And this is what the Master says, verse 25, I'm sorry, 26. But this is what the Lord answered. He said, wicked and lazy servant. That's kind of opposite of well done, good and faithful servant. Just, just so you know, that's not what you want to hear when Jesus returns. Okay? It may be okay for your wife to say that to you on a Saturday afternoon when you're not getting things done around the house. But you don't want the master when he returns to say, wicked and lazy servant. I mean, after all, this servant was, he made some pretty good cases. This is really serious, God. I, it's really, I'm not really good at this. Wicked and lazy servant. And he kind of repeats his excuse. He says, look, you knew I was serious. You knew I reap where I haven't sown and that I gather where I have not scattered seed. There's some great stuff I don't have time to tell you about there. Verse 27, and listen to what he says. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And then at my coming, I would have received it back with interest. Let me see if I can reinterpret this for you. He says, you should have at least... This is what he said, deposited my money with the bankers. I think you could say it this way. You could have actually would have been better if you would have been together with somebody else. Have you ever heard that around here? That you would have actually been better if you would have just gotten together with somebody else to do something. Now, before y'all think I'm being extremely prophetic, I've been paying attention to what's going on in this church. So I don't want no illusions. I've been listening, okay? I know what pastor's been preaching on for the past few weeks. There is a picture in this, and I know you've never thought of it that way in this story, and I hadn't either until this week, until Jesus is actually saying, you know what, if you're not really good at doing something, why don't you go, if you don't think you're good, you'd actually be better if you would just connect yourself with somebody else that maybe has something that you don't have, maybe you can't speak, but you actually know how to connect with somebody else that can, and together, when I returned, what I had would have actually produced something. What I gave you would have produced something. Because we are actually better together. Right? That's the responsibility. Now, pastors, does that mean we had some people in here that didn't... It, I want you to see, because we had two people, the two other servants who... who, who Seemed to, we don't know that they got together with anybody else. And just what we know is they took and did something with the talent God had had and it reproduced. But this one servant who was so afraid, what I want to tell you this morning is there really is no excuse for you to not be doing something 
with what God gave you. Everybody, most people will not stand on this stage. In fact, I can go back a little ways in the last probably 10 to 15 years of listening to Pastor preach on this stage. He's been telling us that these days are kind of over. It's not that we don't have a stage. It's not that people won't stand here and preach and declare the word to you. But the reality is the day has come when the body of Christ has to begin to see themselves as servants of the Most High God and know that you're not going to get to come in and stand before the Lord and say, well, we went to that church and they were doing stuff. That I have a responsibility with what God has placed in my life. If you can, flip over in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Chapter 1. Paul. Man, I've been studying, we've been studying Paul a lot lately at our church. We just went through the book of Galatians this summer. We are just starting the book of Colossians. I love Paul as an apostle and his writings. And I'm going to show you a couple of things here real quick. Let me show you something that Paul says, starting Colossians verse 1. I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit, but looking at verse 24. This is Paul's introduction into this letter, the church at Colossae. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison, and he's writing to encourage the followers of Jesus Christ, all right, who are living in a day where there is all kinds of false teaching, false religions, false things, and he is calling back. I love Paul's writings because as he begins, he's got to bring a little correction, but he begins this letter with declaring that the message is still Jesus Christ. That's what I'm here for. Look at this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. He said, now I rejoice in my suffering for you. I will fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. This is the verse I want you to see. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Paul says, I was given stewardship by God of something for you. You are giving stewardship over something in your life that the world needs. And I want to declare to you, if there was ever a day the world needs what we have, it's today. It is today. With wars and issues and we pray for Israel and believe God to intervene and be faithful because the scripture tells us to pray for Israel. I'm, I'm sure most of you know what's going on over there as a new conflict has begun and people are dying and issues and there's trouble on every side and there's issues everywhere around our country with confusion and loss and struggle. And I'm here to tell you, Paul says, I was given this stewardship of something I was given stewardship. What has he said? Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Let's keep reading a little bit. Verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed, verse 27, to them God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me tell you something, what you haven't figured this out yet. The talent that Jesus is speaking of, what you and I have to give. Let me tell you something. Let me see if I can say it this way. 
we get really confused in the body of Christ. I think in my lifetime, especially my adult lifetime, giftings, abilities, callings. It really actually gets confusing. I think we've muddled it up a lot. I'm trying to do well, trying to teach people. There are absolutely spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about them, teaches about them. There are lots of them, really important. I'll let your pastor teach you on that stuff at another time. But then there's giftings in our lives. Remember what Jesus tells in the parable? He says, the master gives to his servants each according to his ability. That just simply means that you and I are all blessed with a variety of different skills and talents created with them. It's not something you got by somebody laying their hands on you or in a prayer time. You were just built with a a bend towards certain things, right? Some people, just for example, some people can play instruments, right? Thankfully, aren't you all thankful for people that can play instruments? Some people play instruments better than others. It's just the way it is. Some people can sing. Some people can't, right? Some people can do math, and some people can't, right? Lots of, there's all kinds of abilities that we have. Some people can really swing a hammer with a lot of skill. Just so you know, I mean, anybody can swing a hammer, but to swing a hammer with skill is something very different. When I was a teenager in high school and trying to figure out life and didn't know nothing, I really needed a job in the summer, I interned one summer with a brother-in-law. Uh, as he, was a, he was a journeyman sheetrock hanger. Yeah, I know, man. I, so he was like, he'd come go to work with me. I got news for you. That was one summer I realized that's one job I do not want to do. Right? Whether I'm good at it or not, which I probably wasn't. I wasn't good at it, and it was no fun. But when you ever watch, if you've ever seen... Somebody, some of y'all probably go watch YouTube. Watch somebody, a skilled journeyman hanging sheetrock. I mean, it is like an art. It is an amazing thing to watch. We all have these different abilities and different things that we can do. And Jesus uses them. And let me tell you something about our abilities. You can, you can, God will anoint your abilities to the degree that you work your abilities. Let, Let me show you what I mean. Okay, I can play some music a little bit. I'm self-taught, which is part of the problem, but I can play some music a little bit. I play that instrument right there. I can play those instruments back there. There's not an acoustic guitar up here, but I can play an acoustic guitar a little bit. Okay? I know four chords, sort of. All right? I can play four chords on a guitar. I'm not real good. Any guitar player listens to me play or is like, mm. Like, I don't really like to play in front of guitar players. But here's the thing about my ability to play guitar. Because I'm charismatic, and I've got a little, what I don't know how to do, skill, I kind of make up with charisma. And I'm just loud. And I move a lot. And I distract you from the fact that I actually don't know how to play. Because we can do that in church. Right? Right? Throwing just, a, just enough the right chords and the right keys, and you won't even realize I don't have a clue about what I'm doing. Guitar is actually a terrifying instrument to play in too much of a crowd with too much of a thing because here's the thing. I've watched guitar players, and a guitar player breaks a string, knows how to work his way around the guitar without that string. And if I break a particular string, I am in dead trouble because I got limited skill. That's my point. Limited skill. Now, the Lord will anoint my limited skill. 
but he won't necessarily grow my skill on my own. Does it make sense? I have to go learn five, six, set more chords on the guitar. He'll anoint whatever I'm willing to grow. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying? Like if you don't practice your instrument, he can only anoint what you've put into it. Just a little something for all you musicians out there. Right? He'll anoint your two or three chords you know and what time you put in, but he can't anoint beyond what you're willing to put into your ability. That's just a little, that works in every aspect of life, just so you know. I'm just using music as an illustration. But what God gives, so we all have abilities, and then there's spiritual gifts. Some people can prof, have gifts of prophecy, laying on healings and miracles. All those are in there. Everybody doesn't have all those gifts. But you know, we've all been given one thing that's the same. Do you all understand that? And it's really simple. And it's one of the simplest things in the church that I think gets overlooked the most. I know it doesn't get overlooked here. But the one thing you and I all have that is the same is we all have Jesus. Oh, that's just, see, see, that's just one of those things we say. No, actually, Jesus is absolutely everything. Jesus is absolutely everything. From the person that's sitting in the back that has no skills and abilities, as so you think, that can't talk, that can't speak. You may not even be able to articulate out of the scripture. You may not be a, you may not be a scholar. You may not be able to be able to make notes. You may not be able to play an instrument. You may not feel capable of leading. But every one of us in this room, if you are born again, and I should say this way, even if you're not born again, you have been given Jesus. And because Jesus is the one common factor, it's the one thing that we've been given to steward because Jesus is still the answer for the world today. I tell our people all the time, I probably said it when I was here, let me say this one more time, there is no problem facing humanity. There's no government, there's no people, there's no disease, there is no issue facing anything on this earth that the answer is not found in the person of Jesus Christ. It is the common factor between believers. We'll disagree on all kinds of other stuff. Just to stay with the music analogy, we can use all kinds of different things. Maybe you like brighter lights on a Sunday morning. Maybe you actually would prefer darker lights on a Sunday morning. Maybe you would prefer one style of music. I would prefer four songs. I would prefer two songs. Maybe you would prefer somebody in a suit and tie. Maybe you would prefer somebody in shorts and a hat. I doesn't. We can defer and differ on so many different things, but the thing you and I all possess that we're all called to unify around, the thing that unifies the body of Christ has always been, will always be Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the talent that the master gives. He has deposited within you. You may not be able to quote scripture, but you know Jesus. I'm concerned that the body of Christ in our endeavor to reach people have passed off salvation like it's a flippant thing. Like, oh yeah, I was saved 20 years ago. Yeah, I said a prayer last week. Yeah, I did this. Salvation, can I help you a minute? You never grow deeper than Jesus. 
You don't grow any deeper. You can fix me if I'm wrong about this, Pastor. But we never go deeper than Jesus. He's still the answer. He still works. Let me show you what Paul says. Continuing Colossians, we actually got to go back in the beginning of chapter 1. Listen to what he says. Chapter 1, he's, this is his introduction to this church. Verse 3, verse 3. We give thanks to God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go read Colossians 1 today. See how many times Paul begins the letter with declaring Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. His name is still powerful. His name still makes demons flee. His name still sets the captives free. Sorry, got to get going. Verse 3. Where's my time? I'm good. We give thanks to God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the joy and love you have for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which we heard before in the word and truth of the gospel. Let me just put it together. Since you got saved because you heard about Jesus. This is what we celebrate. We're born again. Listen to what he said. Listen, look at this again. Verse 5. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Verse 6. Which has come to you. Jesus has come to you. And it is also going to the world. Catch this. And is bringing forth fruit. Jesus always produces fruit. You want to know how to produce fruit in your life? Preach Jesus. You want to see fruit in your life? Talk about Jesus. You know, the living for Christ really isn't complicated. You really only have, we've made it so complicated with different things. Here's the thing. Fall in love with Jesus. Follow Jesus. And I won't even say, I'm going to just say it this way. Talk about Jesus. You'd be amazed how your life would change if you would learn to just talk about Jesus. You know why we don't talk about Jesus? Because we don't ever think about Jesus. We don't ever think about him. That's something we did. That's something preachers do. No, 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 no. We are the servants in the story. And the master has gone away. And he's left his possession, his talent. And the greatest thing he has given you. It's Jesus Christ. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Jesus is still what we possess. And you know what? You know, we don't get much about the two servants. He just says, hey, they showed up and said, you gave me five of you. And here's five more. And the second said, you gave me two. Here's two more. I got, I, it's double. We don't really see that they did a lot of work. This is what I'm telling you. what Paul says. The word came to you. It's going into the world. And it produces fruit. Jesus still works. It's not old-fashioned. It still works. It's worked my whole life. It will work the entirety of my life because it's still Jesus that saves. It's still Jesus that sets free. It's still Jesus that gives hope. It's still Jesus that gives life. It's still Jesus that gives peace. It is still Jesus. Could somebody come to the keyboard? Please. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. That's John 14, 6. I didn't give them these scriptures back there, but you know them. It's okay. I'm the way. Jesus said, I'm everything. I'm everything. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. A little bit further, chapter 15, verse 5 in John, he said, I am the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. Oh, guess what? Bears much fruit. Maybe you're not getting this. Because the fruit that we produce is more of Jesus than somebody else. See, we've read that a long time. And we think, so if I'm in Christ and Christ is in me, then I can bear whatever fruit I want. No, 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 no. Jesus always reproduces. It's life. It never fails. When you preach Jesus, see what we've got caught up doing in our culture and the church has gotten trapped just a little bit. We didn't mean to do it. It just happens so easily. And we've gotten trapped just a little bit by trying to answer cultural problems with Jesus instead of just giving them Jesus. And understand the cultural problems all straighten themselves out at the foot of the cross. Because Jesus comes and just gives us a whole new life. Instead of trying to figure out how do I fix this confusion in my life. It just begins with bringing your confusion to the cross. Come to Jesus. Jesus fixes it all. Well, is he going to let me stay the same? I want to live this way. That's not the question. I need you to know Jesus. Because I'm never going to convince you to live different thinking about just Jesus stuff. You remember the old bracelets, the old thing, what would Jesus do? Remember those? The, it meant really well. It was good for a time. But in the last few years, I, I, I mention these a lot when I preach. They, it kind of bothers me a little now. I mean, it means well, and I'm not trying to split hairs or be mean or anything. But the problem is, if we're not careful, we just try to live like we think Jesus lives. Like, what would Jesus do in this situation? And that's not really what he asked for. He gives himself to us. He gives everything to us. And he actually asks us to put ourselves in him. We're trying to figure out what he would do, and we don't even know him. We don't really want to know him. We just want to know what he would do. You remember the story? You you remember the story? Uh, Jesus feeds uh, the 5,000. And he feeds all these people. He has compassion on them. He sends them. He sends his disciples away. And he says, you go, and I'm going to send them away. And he leaves. The next morning, the crowd gets up, looks around. They can't find Jesus. Remember, they'd done this miracle. They didn't have food. He feeds them. And they show up the next day looking for Jesus. And Jesus has a completely changed. He says, you're not looking for me. You just want something free. You just don't want to have to work yourself. You're just, you're not looking for me. Jesus is the thing. He's the one that's been given to us. He's the life in my soul. He's the hope of my life. He's everything. He's bigger than a platform. He's bigger than a podium. He's greater than a title. Whether I ever stand on a stage after this day again, He's still Jesus. He saved me. He set me free. He makes me whole. The message never gets old. I've been blessed this year. As I go about my work, I get to talk to a lot of people and I, I wish I could tell you I've been many seasons of my life when I've been so consumed with my own issues and my own troubles that I, I don't matter tell how many people I've missed along the way to be able to talk to about Jesus. But by God's grace, I'm learning to pay more attention and just be aware that some people need to hear about Jesus. And I talked to a young man just a few weeks ago. He come up to me. He said, I heard you were a preacher. And I said, well, yeah. He said, what do you want to talk about? He said, man, I, can you tell me what it, I'm really trying to figure out this prayer thing. 
And he started just asking questions. And I would always bring him back. Do you know Jesus? We talked about Jesus. I kept talking about who Jesus was. And it was interesting because he kept wanting to ask me questions. Then he would ask questions about, well, what about this church? And what about how they do? And what? It's Jesus. See, figuring out how we do things is irrelevant till we know Jesus. Jesus. His name. He's still the only thing that can save us. It's what saved us. You're not saved this morning because I, listen, I honor your pastor, but you're not saved because you got a great pastor. You do. You're not saved because you have an amazing church. You're not saved this morning because you have an amazing worship team and musicians, and you do, but that's not what saves us. It's not what saves us. It's still Jesus. It's what's been given to us. And many times we're taking it and we're going, well, man, God, this is serious. All seriousness, I tell you, now that I preach all the time now, I'll tell you, Pastor Val, it's a learning experience. I, people ask, how I think the church is doing great. I hope and pray they're learning. I know I am. I've learned and grown a lot in four and a half years. A couple of amazing things that's happened. And I'll stand here honestly and tell you, I learned to read my Bible again. And I say that as a man that stood on this pulpit lots of times. And I know my Bible, and I've always, don't misunderstand, I wasn't living in sin, but, but I, 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 I knew how to open my Bible being raised in a preacher's home and in church life. I knew how to open my Bible. I knew the scripture. I knew how to put a sermon together and to get a word. I knew how to do that. But I will thankfully being a pastor and being a pastor first year, my first year of pastor had to go through COVID. I learned to open my Bible and read my Bible because I wanted to know Jesus more and more and more. When I didn't have answers as a pastor going through COVID first year, first year of pastoring going through COVID, guess what I found out? I couldn't get an answer from any pastor on what to do because there wasn't a pastor anywhere that knew what to do. It was such a new event. And all of us could say and look back, if we have to go through it again, we'll do things a lot different, but that's neither here nor there. I learned to read my Bible. And I can tell you, and I've learned and I'm still learning to fall in love with Jesus. Because He's still the only thing. And I can tell you the one thing that probably scares me. And I, the scripture is interesting when I read that story, the excuse of the third servant who says, I, I knew this was serious. I, I knew this was a big deal. It's still the thing that actually scares me to get in the pulpit now because I have a different weight for this word. And it matters. And really, after four and a half years, I told Pastor Zach on the phone the other day, I really feel like I've become just a one-trick pony. I don't know how to do anything but preach Jesus anymore because I, I can't preach to you. I don't have the answers to the culture. I mean, I can point out to the nonsense just like you can. This is silly. This is dumb. I don't know why we do this. I don't understand people's thinking. I don't understand the world. I don't understand how we've got to this place. I, I'm getting old enough to go, man. I don't know what this world is coming to like my parents were. It's relative. But this is what I found. I've been blessed in our church at Victory. Some of those will be watching probably later today. We've got some amazing young men and women 
in our church with a desire to preach the gospel and lead people in Jesus. And they're growing and developing, becoming leaders. And I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of who they are. But this is what I've told our young people since I've been there. And I'm going to tell you today. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Listen, think about this for your young people. See, I can't tell you. I I believe Jesus could come before this day is over. And if he does, I'm ready to see him. I hope you are too. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a moment if you're not. Do I have time for that? Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's easy to be so cynical with this world. I, I, I'm, I'm as an adult now with grandbabies. Uh, I'm remembering my mom. Mom used to say, her, one of her favorite sayings, in the, this was in the 80s and 90s. Look at where we've come from. This is what she would say. If God doesn't come back soon, he's going to have to repent to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was one of her favorite sayings. Some truth in that. At least that's the way they thought because the world was just so wicked. She would not believe the world today. This is what I know. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I believe he could come before the day is over. And he may not come for another 20 years. That space, he didn't tell us how long the space would be. Notice in the story of the parable that I read you in Matthew 25, it said, after a long time, the master returned. This is what I know about the future. I don't know what our country looks like. I'm hopeful and I'm trusting in God for our nation. I don't know what our world looks like. I don't know what currencies are. I don't know what the banking system will be. I don't know. I do know this for our young people and your children and my grandchildren. If I give them Jesus, Jesus will get them through anything and everything that comes along. Now that is true. We keep thinking we've got to control the culture. No, we've been given Jesus. It's not an afterthought. It's not a little thing. We've been given Jesus, the greatest thing. The greatest thing you and I could have ever been given to this day is Jesus Christ who gave his life for you and I. Upon a cross, he became sin so that I could live, so that you could live. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He's still the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is everything. Stand with me if you would. Thank you, Jesus. Hang on a second. I don't know. You probably will know this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Can we sing that again? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. 
And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Thank you, Jesus. You know, that song is so true. The thing, all the things, every eye closed in this room, every head bowed, nobody looking around. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you, so many things get our attention. Not all bad things. Believe it or not, the internet is actually not evil. I like technology. Nobody makes you spend six hours on it, but it's not evil in and of itself. That's your own lack of discipline, not the internet's fault. S sorry, it hurt your feelings. That's why, don't look at me. I don't, I don't want you to be mad at me. It's not, there's technology. So many things get our attention. World events, yep, bad, serious, stuff we need to know about. Yeah, politics, yeah, Whew. sorry. That's it, it is what it is. It's out there, can't get around it, part of it. You really can't bury your hand, head in the sand, you can't ignore it completely, it's out there. Your own job, your own life, your own troubles. What are you going to do? Maybe you're in an age where you're trying to figure out your future. Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to do for a living? Maybe you struggle with relationships. Been waiting for that special somebody. It's been a long time. Don't know where they are. Maybe you're struggling with your own home. Growing apart. Life's got my attention. All kinds of stuff. Maybe there's confusion in your heart and your life. Maybe there's somebody in this room today. You're troubled by voices and things that have been said to you, things that have been said about you. Maybe your work environment isn't good. Maybe they don't like you. Maybe they don't treat you well. Maybe you don't have any friends at school. Maybe they're mean to you. Maybe you're alone and isolated. All kinds of things weigh on our minds. They're real. I'm not telling you they're not. They're real. But the song is true. Turn my eyes on Jesus. It really does work, I promise. It really does work. And like the song says, when I turn my eyes to Jesus and the things of this world, they grow strangely dim in the light of Him, in the light of Jesus, in the light of His glory, in the light of His grace. Maybe you're battling sickness. Maybe there's disease in your body. Maybe it's got fear wrapped you up and you're worried about what the future holds. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And the things of this world, they grow strangely dim. So let me tell you, nobody looking around. I think we probably got some altar workers that probably need to come up here. I'm going to assume you got some. If you do, come on. If not, somebody knows how to pray. Get up here, please. Thank you. If you're in this room this morning, we're going to make this real quick. We're not going to linger and wait. 
because the word of God is life and Jesus is true and I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking and we have given you Jesus this morning. If you're in this room and you have never accepted Jesus, you can honestly say, say, you know, I've heard about him, but I something in my heart, this is what I'm really looking for. Anybody this morning that has never given their life to Jesus and wants to do it today, this is your opportunity. But especially that person that is sitting in this room and you feel something while I've preached this morning, not because it's me, but the Bible says no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him, but you can't explain it. But there's something on the inside of you that says, I gotta get right, I gotta get right, I don't even know what to do, but I gotta make my life right. If that's you, don't wait. You need to get out of your seat. Come right now to one of these workers. They're going to pray with you. If you're in this room this morning, you say, I don't know if Jesus would come back today. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to face him. I don't know if he'll say, well done, a good and faithful servant. That's you. You don't need to wait. This is your opportunity. You need to get out of your seat and move right now. Don't wait for anything else to happen because this is so important. This is the most important thing. This is so important that you leave this place knowing that you're ready to meet Jesus, knowing that your life has been changed. These people up here will pray with you. They'll show you. They'll walk you through. They'll help you to come into a brand new relationship with Jesus Christ. Anybody in this room? Anybody in this room? Thank you, Jesus. All right? Now, anybody in this room this morning, and you say, I've been making a lot of excuses. I haven't, I thought I had to have a specific talent. I thought I had to be qualified to be on stage. I I thought... I thought all this stuff was for somebody else. I'm saved. Yeah, I got Jesus, but I didn't think I was supposed to do anything. But you realize this morning that actually you are responsible. See, that's actually what's happening here. His responsibility has been placed on the body of Christ to actually now go tell somebody about Jesus. It's not the preacher's job. It's your job. Paul says in the book of Ephesians that the fivefold ministry, the gifts are given to the body of Christ for the edification, the building up of the saints, for the works of the ministry. That actually, guess what? You have a responsibility. Now, here's the thing. You're not being asked to go start a church and, and raise a church of a thousand people. That's not, he's not put a number. He just wants to know, will you do something? Will you just talk about Jesus? Are you willing to talk about Jesus? Are you willing to do something with what you've got? That's the question I ask you this morning. That's the question I put before you, Christ Church. In these new days, in these new seasons, and and all that you're doing, do you realize that God is actually asking? It's not a program at a church. God is actually asking you, are you finally willing to do something with what I've given you? Will you just talk about Jesus? That's really all it is. And you know what? If you don't really think you're good at it, which most of us don't, put your arm in arm with somebody else. Say, let's do it together. Let's talk about Jesus together because we are better together. Because why we're better is because the gospel has to be preached and the world needs to know about Jesus. 
That's why we're better. Not because it makes us better. It's because Jesus needs to be preached to the world. Cape Girardeau needs Jesus. Southeast Missouri State needs Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And we're better at it when we do it together. We talk about Jesus. So, Father, I thank you this morning for this great church. I thank you, Father, for this great church and for all that you're doing. I thank you, God, because you have given us yourself. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, for Jesus, for giving us life. Father, forgive us. Father, forgive us when we've treated our own salvation like it was something that happened a long time ago. Forgive us when we've tried to make the kingdom of God a bunch of strategies, when we forgot that it's still Jesus. Help us, Father. I pray that we would have a fresh renewal in our hearts. As the psalmist David said, may we draw from the wells, joy from the wells of our salvation. May we remember this day what you have done for us, that you saved us, that because you saved us, it's why we've got something to give. That because we're set free, because we're a new creation, that we've got what our neighbor needs, that we've got what our, our, co- our, our co-workers need, that we got what our students around us need, that our classmates need, that our neighbors need, that our families need. May we recognize Remember what you've done in us. Father, we thank you for saving us. And Father, may we leave this place today with a faithful commitment to just talk about Jesus. To really, Father, can we look at the world to see they just need Jesus? That Jesus is still the answer for the world today that above him there is no other, that Jesus is still the way. Father, may we begin to look at all the conflict and the confusion and we see it through the eyes of a world. May we see it through Jesus because Jesus is what we've been given. Jesus is what produces fruit and Jesus is what we'll give in Jesus' name.